Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Studies Group Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Um, now we have Noah for our joke. Good evening, everybody. My name is Noah. I will be your alcoholic comedian tonight. I have a joke here for you guys. This is an exchange overheard in a courtroom. Judge... The judge says, what did you do to keep yourself sober during this time? The defendant replies, I went to Kansas. Judge says, did that work? The defendant says, yeah, there were warrants out for me there. <laughs> I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Robert. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might or are going to distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation.
God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are sick, lost, or dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution. From the big book, page 17, the tremendous fact for everyone of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out in which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. And I asked a friend to read the Appendix 2 Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Hi, I'm Tess. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. <laughs> in the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it, though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist Will, William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself, or he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could have seldom, or could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few expectations, or with few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essential, or is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically... Um, Empathic. We wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need, no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness mind, are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. 
That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, pages 567 um, through 568. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking, constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so please set your phones to airplane mode, meeting mode, or just turn them off. I have the honor of introducing this person again this week, all month, um, and uh, we know each other from pretty much our whole lives. We grew up together, and she carried the message to me when I was in the places that this disease brings you to, um, mostly jail for me, because that's my experience. And um, thank God she did, because it showed me hope throughout the time, and uh, hopefully she gives you that tonight. So here we go. Come on, Bobby. Hi, everybody. Oh, no. Oh, there we are. Hi, everybody. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Bobby. Bobby. (laughs) They said the podium was higher last week. Did you guys notice that? Anybody notice that? Oh, that's right. Last week we were downstairs. Oh, maybe I was. Let me see. It could have been there. It could have been there. <laughs> I was trying to remember. When you're out, when you're at that area down there, the lights are so bright that you don't even see who's in the seating thing. Anyways, um, I'm a little slow today. I am super excited to do this session with you because we're going to talk about how sick I am. It's always my favorite topic. My husband came specifically so he can hear how sick I am because he just, he loves when I admit my wrongs. It's not common, so whenever he can. He's probably got like a secret recording of me doing this step so that he could replay it in his downtime to lift his spirits up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... seriously but (sighs) gigs up I'm telling everybody your defects of character today (laughs) I got a whole list of them hold on I saved them here on my phone okay no I'm just joking anyways um, so we talked all about the four step inventory last week Uh, we dissected it why it was so critical to take an inventory of ourselves because just like if we were, you know, owning a business, we need to do an inventory for multiple reasons. Why do we even care? So that our business is successful, so that we um, earn good money, we make great profit, and we're able to put food on the table and feel successful. I mean, it's just common sense. Why do we do inventories? So that we can double check and make sure that there's nothing expired. We want to make sure that the things that are on our shelves are being sold. We want to keep check of things because sometimes when things are in season and people are buying them, in some cases, they stop buying them when either the style has moved out, we have, we're in a new era, or we're in a new season, and we need to make sure that we're being truthful to ourselves and about our value in regards to what's in our store. Because, you know, I, I often share a story of having a clothing store with my best friend and 
uh, liking bell-bottom jeans, and unfortunately, they are coming back. But uh, they, you know, here I am, I own a store, and uh, let's say I love bell-bottom jeans, and nobody else in the world's wearing bell-bottom jeans. And I got them in the front window of my clothing store, and I'm like in love. But my best friend is my partner, and she says, best friend, those jeans in the front of the store are preventing people from coming inside because they're no longer in season. People don't wear those anymore. They don't like those clothes. And, and I am not being true to myself or to anybody else because my response is, are you kidding me? Everybody loves bell-bottom jeans. Best friend, who do you know wears bell-bottom jeans? Well, I do. I wear bell-bottom jeans. Yeah, but who else do you know that wears bell-bottom jeans? You know, I have to be true and honest with myself. So expired stuff, things that are damaged, things that have no value, things that used to be in season and they're out of season, saying things that used to work for you that don't work for you anymore, parts of yourself that have been hurt and broken and damaged that need to be repaired. It's the same thing about your own personal life. And that's what we looked at last week. And what we discovered through that journey, if being honest and thorough, is that there are three things that brings your business down, closes doors, and we're not opening up again more than anything else. And I'll, I'll rephrase that to meet uh, the standards of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that that is that there's three things that block us off from the sunlight of the spirit more than anything else. And those three things, Alcoholics Anonymous made a priority to inventory in this step. First thing was a resentment. Second thing was our fears. Third thing was our sexual conduct. We put it down on paper. We're honest and thorough. We follow the basic guidelines that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous has laid out for us so that we do this in order to share it with another human being. Why do we share this personal information with another human being? Why can't we just share it with ourselves? If God is almighty and he is everything and he knows my heart, well, then he knows all that I've done. I could just admit it between me and him. Why do I have to admit it to another human being? There's several reasons behind it, but a uh, few that just stick out to me tonight. First and foremost, this activity of sharing with another human being has been around for thousands of years. And it's called confession. And uh, when we admit our wrongs to another human being, a closed mouth trusted human being, there's a level of humility there. There's a leveling of our pride and our ego there. There's also literally releasing the demons because we are only as sick as our secrets. And if we keep something with between just me and God, it's still kept in the closet. It needs to be spoken out. And not only will we speak it out and receive that humility that I'm referring to, but we may also get a loving guiding counsel from our closed mouth friend. Maybe it's as simple as you're not alone. Or maybe that person can give you a couple of tips that has worked for them. Or maybe they do and say nothing at all 
and just listen. For, it, for whatever reason, it was put there in place in this order, and it works. Our book says it works if you work it. We say it in every meeting. It works if you work it, so work it, you're worth it. But this program will only work if you work it. And a lot of this stuff is if you skip it, you may not overcome drinking. And for us, we've learned several times I've said it, that for us to drink is to die. I'm not just talking about spiritual death, although that's probably the worst kind. I'm referring to six feet under. You're not even going to get a chance to experience the freedom that Alcoholics Anonymous can provide for you if you work this program. That sucks. But it's facts. So here we are. We've admitted to another human being. What are we going to do about that next? We're going to continue to have a thought, a submission, and more action. Step six says we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. All it's saying is that we're ready. It doesn't say we're going to do anything specific yet. It just says that we're ready. And I really want to make this very clear that just becoming ready and even taking action on your readiness is not going to heal you overnight. This is going to be a lifelong process of trial and error, allowing God to direct your walk as a result of directing your walk, making your road become more and more and more narrow. And another way of saying more and more and more narrow is you begin to get a conscience that is going to direct your decision making. Because what settles with you years ago is not going to settle with you today. What is settling in your spirit today may change over the course of the next six or 12 months. Things are going to change. Doesn't necessarily mean that how you feel and what you believe today is absolutely wrong. It just means it's going to change. Remember, we talked about in the store and valuing what you have on your shelves. Because there are things, in fact, that are working for you greatly today. They have wonderful value. They're bringing you joy and happiness and sometimes freedom. I don't know what's going to shift or what that looks like. But eventually, it's no longer going to work for you. And again... It might not be a bad thing. Just be prepared for change. Every time you go through a growth spurt here in Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll be grounded for only a short period of time if you are progressively growing in your recovery program. Because God is so far from done with you. So here you are, you're grounded, you got this new way of life, this new way of seeing things. And then God has a funny way of shaking things up. And the shaking of things, in some cases, for some people, come to be overwhelming. And we like to think negatively about it. 
oh my God, what am I going to do? How could this have happened to me? I'm working such a wonderful program. Why does she think that of me? Why does he think that of me? I can't stand that one. I can't stand this one. I should be doing it better than them. Why am I not doing it better than them? That's one way to handle it, the shaking up. Or the other way to handle it is just put one foot in front of the other. Say, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing in my life right now, but keep leading my way. I'll take your hand on this path. Doesn't mean I need to be happy and jumping for joy, but I am joyful on the inside. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is the comfort, ease, and peace that I have with inside of my spirit when things are not going my way. You want to know why? Because I know through experience of trial and error that God's way is always 110% better than mine. And getting from point A to point B sometimes is not the most comfortable experience. But guess what? If I don't deviate, and I mean take a drink or a drug on that process, I'm going to get over here, and I'm going to get a world of an abundant amount of experience, growth, but I'm really lucky, wisdom. And then I get grounded again for a short period of time, and then God shakes it up. So in the process, what happens when he shakes it up? These things come sprouting out of your life like wildflower. They're called defects of character. And they're just like the whack-a-mole that you see at Chuck E. Cheese or at your um, local arcade. You hit one, and another one pops up. You hit that one, and another one pops up. You hit that one, and then this one that you thought you would never have pops up. Here's a really funny thing about God and me. He works differently, I believe, with other people. I think we're all a little bit, our relationships are different. For me, anytime I think negatively about people, maybe it's their lifestyle, maybe it's how they act around their husbands, maybe it's how they parent their children, I don't know. If I get a little judgy up in here, I'm scared. I'm like, I'm sorry, Jesus, Lord, please forgive me. I did not mean to feel that judgmental about that person. And the reason why I get scared is because I kid you not. When I became, um, when I become a judgmental about a situation, God has a funny way of bringing me back to my right size. Nine times out of 10, I end up being that person that I was judging. Never thought I could be like that person. And here I am living and acting just like that. And you know what it does for me? It gives me empathy of like, oh, wait a minute. I see what they go through. I see how they feel. And in some cases, more than not, Oh, wow. Maybe they were the, doing it the right way the whole time. And it was me who sucked at this. 
So let's talk about what are defects of character. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous describes them in many ways. Call them defects of character, shortcomings, maladjustments, um, derelictions, <clears throat> all different names for defects of character, nationally known as the sins. I know some people don't really like that word, but it's in our literature, the seven deadly sins. Pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth. You can dissect those seven sins into a bazillion other different words and call them character defects. But ultimately, they all fall under seven of those. And what I have learned on this journey is that we all live with them in one way, shape, or form. Some of us are overcoming a lot of those. And while we're overcoming them, other ones pop up because we're not going to be perfect anytime soon. Also, God will, can and will change you, but not without your cooperation. God is a gentleman. He's not going to come in and expel anything unless he's asked to do so. So what exactly are sins? Like, how do we get those? Um, I, I've learned here through the 12 and 12 in the big book that God actually gave us what is called, um, um, instincts, right? We, we, we were all given instincts. Animals are given instincts. Funny thing about animals is they don't ever use their instincts out of what they were supposed to use them for. Isn't that weird? Um, they use their instincts specifically to do exactly what they were meant to do. But us humans, man, I guess God gave us this brain that makes us think that we're just, we're going to outsmart everything. We're going to do better, be better, make more, be liked more, etc. So God gave us this God given instinct to be who we are. Maybe it's, um, you know, for protection purposes. I need to know what's going to scare me, uh, to keep me safe. You know, if there's a train coming my way, obviously I'm going to step off the train tracks. If I'm hiking through the woods and there's a black floor, is it Florida Panthers black? I should know this. I've been here my whole life, but he comes peeking out of the bushes. Um, what am I going to do? I'm going to I'm going to run, right? <laughs> no, I probably won't. My husband says, no, you're going to carry a knife and you're going to go like this. Bleah! That's what he told me to do, by the way. Okay. Oh, that was for a bear. Whatever. I said, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to pretend like I don't see him. Um, these are like instincts, right? Uh, God gave us some really cool instincts. So he gave us instincts to love to desire another human being. Like that's actually a God-given instinct. Not to be held back, but not to be given loosely either. And so what I've discovered is that anything that God gave me, if it makes me feel good in any way, I seem to like to use it a little bit more than it's supposed to be used. So I use it and I abuse it. Tell it's a little bit higher than what God made me for. And then I use it and abuse it until it's now actually 
um, doing the reverse effect. It's no longer like an asset at all. It's a complete liability. It's causing more problems than good. And it's hurting a lot of people, especially my relationship with God. So somehow I need to get this liability back down to where it's an asset. Now, in specific relation to the fact that I have a natural God-given instinct and desire to love and to be with another human being, why would I even have that? For what? Just so that I wouldn't be alone the rest of my life? I mean, that would be probably some of it, companionship. But it's also so that we could procreate and continue to keep this world populated, right? But here, what do I do with this? Well, I like it. Kind of fills this hole I have inside of my spirit. So I'm going to sleep with you, 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 you. Some of you together. <laughs> I'm going to sleep with you whether you're married and have children at home. You know, I'm going to sleep with you unprotected, caring little or none at all, most likely, if I'm passing anything off to you. And um, I'm going to step on the toes of my fellows. And I'm going to hurt people. And I'm not going to care because I'm out selfishly to satisfy my needs. Now, I've given what God has given me and I've turned it way into what Alcoholics Anonymous calls a defective character. Nationally known as a seven sin would be lust. You can lust for many things, not just sex. That happens to be one that I'm going to focus on today because it's so, um, it's a big deal in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's why they specifically made an inventory in your book on your sexual conduct. Now, I'm going to take this a step further. Remember how I told you your road becomes more narrow? Well, there are things in the the world of lust that you could be experiencing where you're not physically touching another human being at all. Where is your mind? Where is your mind? Because if your mind is like what we say in the gutter... It's probably having a hard time connecting with your father. And I use that term out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and Dr. Bob's story. Are you watching pornography? Because I can guarantee you that is affecting your walk with God. Are you in a relationship And thinking about other people, sexually, emotionally, these are all things that happens. If you stay in recovery long enough, your road will begin to get narrow. If God is shaking you up, you're going to eventually have to take a look at that. If he's not working on you today on that, good for you. It's coming. Because one of my most powerful parts of my testimony is this. If you don't know, you don't know. But once you find out, you can no longer plead ignorant. So, that's a big one. Let's talk about another big one that seems to affect us 
in a great deal. And that's why we have this inventory process in four. God also gave me the instinct to be a part of society, to be a fellow among fellows, to have a community of people to not only love and look to him together, but also to give back the word, bring you to him as well, so we can fellowship together and do life together in his will and in his sunlight of the spirit. So here's this thing, like I enjoy being liked. I used to completely disagree with that statement. I used to feel like I don't care if anybody likes me or not. I probably really did not care. But it's also because I didn't really like myself. And I certainly didn't like God or even know who God was. But today I can say, I only care what people think of me when I'm doing wrong. I'll say that again. I only care what people think of me if I am doing wrong. So, for for example, a good friend of mine was telling me yesterday, I've been feeling very insecure. I feel like my husband is being short with me. It could be in my head. I feel like he's being you know, like easily irritated and doesn't want to spend time with me. But I also have been noticing that my best friend seems like she's mad at me. And something has shifted over the last week. And my first response or question to her was, is there anything that you've been doing in your life that could have possibly set the ball rolling with you feeling insecure? And she said, I'm going to have to get back to you on that because I'm not sure. But normally, if I am living clean and being a good damn person, if I find out that somebody dislikes me or said something negatively about me, I rarely get heartbroken over it. I think to myself, they must be suffering. It must be something with inside of themselves that is making them dislike me. And I will pray for them. But if it's something that I was doing, maybe I had a bad attitude. I've been having excessive profanity at the podium. I've been cheating something at work, you know, like not, not clocking in and out properly or whatever. Then and only then will I say, well, screw her. She don't know me. You know what? I'm not following that girl from social media, but, but first I'm put a subliminal message on there before I do. So here God gave me this wonderful, beautiful instinct to be a part of society. But I think people should like me a very specific way. And if they don't like me a very specific way, well, then I shun them. I gossip about them. They say murder character by assassination. I step on the toes of my fellows. I set the ball rolling with my attitude, paranoia, and insecurity. Pride at its best. Pride affects relationships with other human beings more than anything else. What about the natural God-given instinct to grow as a person, to be physically, mentally, emotionally 
um, independent and to strive to get a better education so that you can get the job and then get a promotion and then get married and then get a house and then get a bigger house and then have kids and then help them grow. We have this in us. It's called ambition. God gave that to us from the very beginning. It's an asset. And when you're doing good and live in recovery clean in your head and your mind and your body, you will get far in life. And you're going to want to do that. And it's going to come a little easier than if you weren't. Doesn't mean it won't be hard because there's going to be hard days. But here we go. I've got this thing, right? This thing called ambition. So I want that. I want this. I want it so much that I'll lie, cheat, and steal to get it. Or maybe I will character assassinate or do whatever I can to make that employee look bad so that I get the promotion. I'll start building allies within the work environment. While I'm building allies, I'm also building enemies. This ambition turns into a whole nother level of sickness. Pride, greed. It's just spilling in and throughout my life. They say that don't let what AA gave you take you back out. AA gave me my kids, a husband, a house, cars, a business. If I let all those things, I let my ambition take over my life and my relationship with God. You know what ends up happening? Those things slowly be plucked away from my life. I think about that often. And when I let my pride or my greed get in the way of my relationship with human beings or with God, I instantly in fear Oh, God, please forgive me. I do not mean what I do. Set me straight. And why am I like that? Because I literally know I'm no longer have humility. I'm being a complete jerk off and I know the consequences. I want to straighten out my path the best I can. But here's the difference between somebody who's working a program, going to meetings, having service in this book, helping other people and people who are sitting on the sidelines. What happens is the blindfolds continually block you from seeing the truth. And AA, we call it denial. We cannot even see the truth, even though it's right in front of our face. We are the common denominator in all of our problems, but we think it's everyone else and everything else but ourselves. At least if you're in the middle of this program, truthfully trying to grow, you may get a glimmer of the truth. And that's all you need is a glimmer. Then you can grow and flourish and do very well in this world. So obviously we hear gluttony often. How many of you guys have put down a drink and a drug and picked up the donut? (laughs) This is not a popular topic, but it's one I've struggled with. I still often struggle with it. You know, God gave us all one single solitary body. We are to live in it for the rest of our life. But for some reason, I have found myself, and more frequently in this, the, the, the community of recovery than anywhere else, I've noticed a lot of my friends and fellows doing the same thing, needing more 
than our share. What does that mean? Eating when I'm not hungry. Eating more than I set out to do. Trying to control my eating habits. And you can move that into all other topics in recovery. Your energy drinks, your coffee, your cigarettes. Are you sober? This is no judgment on you, I swear. It's just a realization. It's my story. It's my testimony, and I'm here to say it. Are you sober five years and still smoke cigarettes? Are you sober 10 years and you're vaping it up? Really, are you taking a true, genuine care over the body that God gave you? It's trust and believe not anybody's better than and worse than. By any means at all. Just for today, I have made healthy choices for this body. Have you gone to the doctor since you've been sober and had a physical? Guys, have you been to the men's doctor? Women, have you been to the gyno? Have we all been to the dentist? For God's sakes. Are we taking care of ourselves? You're going to want to do that because you didn't get sober to die a miserable medical death early. Do you know that just in December, and I had been going to the doctor since I've been sober, found out that I had abnormal cells that rapidly grew so quickly that I was less than a year away from cancer. And I had to have a total hysterectomy within two weeks. And I had it happen just like that. Imagine if I had not been going to the doctor regularly, I would not have even known I had cancer. And if the cells had grown that rapidly, imagine how fast the cancer would have grown just like that. So gluttony is a huge sin that we all do not want to take a look at because we don't want to offend anybody. But it's just the truth. Stay on this path long enough and the road is going to get more and more and more narrow. Can people come in and still do all the things that I'm talking about and stay sober? It happens. It actually happens quite a bit. They call them dry drunks, not necessarily people who smoke or are eating unhealthy. That's not what I'm saying. People who don't work a program, they call them dry drunks. Um, I've known and heard of many people committing suicide many years sober. I've heard of many people going to jail with double-digit sobriety. It can happen. I don't know about you, but I didn't come in here just for quantity of life. I came in here for quality of life. The quality of life. You want to know when a defect is ready to be addressed? You, you could be sitting here like me when I was in early recovery and I was about to approach step six. and I didn't think I had any defects. I kid you not. I didn't because I didn't know what I didn't know. But this is how you know when it's time to address it. 
They say that God whispers until he screams. You guys ever like go and buy a car? <clears throat> For example, 2015, no, 2018, I went and bought a 2015 Buick Enclave, pearl white, three row cedar, um, beautiful SUV. I never even knew about this vehicle. My husband was at the lot with me at Mercedes Pompano, and there was obviously it was a used vehicle, and he Googled it and said that it was one of the safest, top three safest vehicles in America. And I was like, wow, I'm like, I never even heard of this car. Long story short, we five hours later bought the car, and I brought it home. The next morning, I was packing up the kids, getting ready to go to school, feeling really good about my new vehicle. And as I'm driving out of the neighborhood to get to the main street to go to work, I passed a house on the block next to mine, and there sat a 2015 Buick Enclave. I said, get the hell out of here. Where'd that come from? I've never seen that car there. Then I pull out to Atlantic Boulevard and I head over to Dixie Highway and there's a red light. I pull up, I kid you not, right behind a pearl white 2015 Buick Enclave. I'm like, get out of town. This is crazy. <laughs> then I go, then I go to work. After dropping off the kids, I park right next to a car. I don't notice it quite yet. Put the car in park, lock the doors. As I'm walking out, I turn around to look at my car. I'm like, beep, beep. I'm so proud of it. And I was like, son of a bitch. Right next to me is a 2015 Buick Enclave. Long story short, every day for the rest of my time with that vehicle, I saw them every single place I'd ever gone. All the time. My point is... Until something gets brought out of the back of your mind to the front of your vision here, it'll be in the dark. But once God brings it up here, you're going to see it at every corner, every light, every parking lot, every corner you turn. It's going to be screaming in your face. It's going to be in your ear, in the middle of your head, in your chest, in your heart, in the pit of your stomach. Because God lives right here within us. He is the guiding force, the director. He's going to shed light on where you need to go and how you need to get there. More importantly, he's going to let you know when something is due for change. There's going to be a check engine light coming on. And the longer you ignore it, the worse it gets. Some of us figured out through many years of trial and error how to bury it with what's called justification and rationalization. And once you bury it just enough, that justification and rationalization just puts a nice thin layer of dirt over it. That way you can sleep at night, go on with your busy lives, and that deep-rooted evil starts to sprout out and manifest in other areas of your life. You want to know like how crazy it could manifest? 
It could manifest in ways you have absolutely no idea it had anything to do with that particular issue. All of a sudden, you're a little bit more irritable. You're no longer wanting to have sex with your partner. Your kids are very annoying. All of a sudden, that boss that you liked and talked so highly about all the time, you're starting to see their defects more and more and more. You're starting to notice yourself not being interested in going to the meetings with all the people that you love because for some reason they're not your people anymore. Things can get weird. And what will happen is if you're in recovery and you're doing the best you can, you will grow through that. And you're going to look back and go, holy crap. Wow, I cannot believe I stayed sober over that. I cannot believe I just learned that from that. I will never do that again, God. Only to do it again and again and again. Because here is the tip, guys. We, you, are all human. You guys are all flawed. (laughs) Including myself. Don't tell my husband. We're all flawed. That's why step seven says humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. It doesn't say humbly ask your therapist, your husband, your kids. It says humbly asked him, capital H-I-M, wherever it is, to remove your shortcomings. Why? Because he can and will if you ask him, but he will not do it without your cooperation. Thank you guys. Hi, my name is David and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, uh, the baskets are now going around. Uh, We also have QR codes on the back of some of the seats if you'd uh, like to contribute electronically. Um, You can also uh, contribute electronically uh, if you're joining us on Zoom. Thank you. Um, uh, and I have asked Iggy to come up and read the recovered statement. Iggy. My name's Iggy. What's up, Iggy? Hey, Iggy. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured? That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of alcoholic centers is in his mind, rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forties style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. 
What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% plus success rate. Is there anyone in the room uh, who needs a sponsor? Okay, if you're too shy to raise your hand, uh, at the end of the meeting, you can come up and stand by the piano, and uh, somebody will come over and speak with you. Um, can I have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Okay, if, you're, if your hand isn't raised, uh, we like to suggest that you make an attempt to hang out with those whose hands are. Broward County Intergroup um, is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. It's also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing AA meetings, for bringing meetings into places where people like us uh, who can't get out to AA meetings, such as uh, jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly at the 12-step house to organize the meeting schedules. Do we have any mem members of BCIC in the room? Okay, so if, you, you're, if you're interested, you can uh, talk to that lady in the back. Here are some upcoming service opportunities. Um, <clears throat> Uh, General Service District 9 needs your help to prepare for the Founders Day picnic. So the next two meetings will be um, Thursday, May 11th at 7 p.m. and Thursday, May 25th at 7 p.m. Um, and I hate to be selfish about that, but that might sort of run into your um, uh, coming here. But uh, it's at the intergroup... <laughs> It's at the Intergroup Bookstore. Um, <clears throat> for a limited time only, uh, you can subscribe, subscribe to Grapevine Magazine for a year and get a free book from grapevine.org. Uh, the 43rd Big Book Seminar in Boca Raton is happening this weekend. $30 per person. Register online at bigbookseminar.org. Okay, uh, 20, second annual, so October 27th to 29th, second uh, annual Bull in the China Shop Corral. Uh, that's a men's 12-step surrender gathering. Uh, Victory Group annual picnic, Sunday, May 21st, um, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Snyder Park, Caldwell Pavilion. And, um, yes, and uh, there is, of course, uh, next week with Bobby once again. And uh, you can also join us on Mondays for my other home group, which is uh, the Big Book Study Workshop. Uh, it's where the big book comes alive. Uh, join us for fellowship at 630, and the workshop starts at 715. Thank you. I'd like everyone to, to, everyone, to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer.
Who woke us up this morning? Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You all either Monday or next Thursday. God's hey, hey, hey. Heart is heavy, soul is thirsty, body's aching. I am desperately in need of restoration. Yeah.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Thanks. 
twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time Outside my door Never before I had to change everything To realize That today is the best day of my life Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide Through the great divide Through his own heart, yeah Just about to smile. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Take. Got one man that just wants to. 